Hey everybody, welcome to another spectacular episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 103 with BAFTA award-winning game designer and UI artist for Alien Isolation, John McKellen, who joins us this week to discuss the process of treading the work-life balance, the fleeting nature of life, and his adventures as a film instructor. John also shares a ton of excellent insight to his contributions to Alien Isolation, including the difference in building UI versus UX, challenges he faced along the way, and his persistence to overcome them. Here we go, people. Episode 103 with Mr. John McKellen. Let's roll. So let's do it, man. I really appreciate you jumping on the call with me. This is, uh, we've been trying to do this episode for months now. Yeah, I think it was November last year when you first got in touch. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just give it to paint the fans of the podcast a little bit of a picture of how much work and time it takes for us to get involved with people, because especially um, somebody like yourself, who's obviously involved with something very special and and already consumed with your life as a working professional, and then also you have family too, don't you as well? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to juggle all that, obviously. It is, yeah, Yeah, especially when it, it... project can go on for years on end you get you get consumed by it and so trying to spin all those plates at once can be pretty tough but four years man four yeah years. Oh, crazy. yeah four years well as uh for people that aren't really aware of who you are or people that are um your title on alien isolation which i bring up quite a bit on the podcast because it's one of those kind of special games um from my own standpoint it scared the shit out of me. I still haven't beaten it. <laughs> I just can't. I can't do it. <laughs> That's quite a common theme. Yeah. It is. I've noticed that it's actually. Um, I don't know if you guys have ratio. Like, if you guys can. Um, like, I know, for example, like um, Monument Valley. They posted how many people actually beat the game because they can see the statistics. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, can you guys see? You guys can't, right? Because it's not really connected. It's because everybody's um, isolated. I don't by- know, actually. I yeah, I mean, I think, like, we can see things like achievements and stuff like that that's okay. been triggered. So, like, you trigger an achievement or trophy at the end of the game, so we can kind of get an estimate on that. But I think the percentage of people who finished it was quite low. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, like, the, the kind of weird thing was is that it would be a low ratio, but people were still walking away saying it was a great game. You know, they didn't have to finish it, which yes. is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's psychologically very interesting, right? I mean, yeah. um, you go out, you spend money on this product, and... It, it, it's definitely a tool. It's a device that scares the shit out of me. Um, I really, I've done a little bit of research on you and just kind of read some of your interviews and it's great to find out how much of a fan you are of the original film. Obviously, I think yeah. you kind of have to be working on a project for years, but before we dive into that, I kind of want to talk about your title and, um, your role in, 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 in creating this, uh, experience. Um, because sure. as an outsider, as a fan of the, of the property and a fan of the actual game, it's really cool for me. And I'm sure everybody that's listening, fans of the game, being able to get a little bit of an understanding of, you know, how this kind of stuff works and how it comes to be. So if you would elaborate mm-hmm. on your title, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So so I was the um, the lead UI artist on the project, um, but it was kind of, um, it was it was quite a varied role. Like I was originally brought on um, just as a, a an art generalist, I guess, um, where, you know, I kind of specialize in graphic design and UI in the past, but 
um, when, when I first joined the team, it was pretty small. There was maybe 20 people on the team. Um, and so everyone kind of had to do a bit of everything. Um, but I kind of brought the video angle to things. And the uh, so I, as the project started off, I, I was handling a lot of the kind of pre-production videos and editing kind of reels together of gameplay footage and, and covering that angle of things because we weren't really ready to worry about the UI at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, take for, especially for a game like Alien, it takes, you know, literally years to get to a point where the design of the actual game is kind of locked down well enough for us to be able to say, right, this is how the UI should work. You know, now we know how the game works, so let's do the UI. So, um, so yeah, it was a bit of a varied role. It wasn't only until about halfway through that I really, uh, that we really got stuck into the, the user interface. And I, I was kind of responsible for the, the kind of mechanical design of how it worked as well as the visuals. Um, I report, I had an art director and a creative director that I reported to, but, um, but they gave me a lot of free reign. Um, they gave me a lot of ownership over that stuff and kind of let me run with it. That's um, cool. Amazing. Yeah, it was very cool. It was, it, it came with its own problems where you kind of a lot <laughs> of self doubt and a lot of, uh, <laughs> but, um, but it was incredible to have as much kind of influence on that the presentation style as I had. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so I think the, you know, looking at the, the game as a, as a finished, you know, product, um, I kind of, my, my UI within the game was kind of everywhere, but also things like the, the intro title sequence. Yeah, um, talk about the, that, yeah. The marketing video stuff. Um, I worked with this other guy, Paul Allison, on the trailers. I'd done all the title effects for that. I helped design the logo and just kind of like got stuck in wherever I could, um, so yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty incredible to have, you know, that many things to be able to touch. You know. Yeah, it, I, it sounds like you're a very passionate person and smart of your creative directors to give you the responsibility because um, that allows you to own it. Like you talked about self doubt and all kinds of stuff, especially dealing with handling a property is is as um as holy grail as as alien obviously um um, everybody that listens podcast probably tired of me talking about my love for alien and i don't (laughs) care because i fucking love that film and i'll talk about it (laughs) till i die because it's a really fucking it's a masterpiece genre film you know it's a really it's really significant so i'm sure handling this and also being a fan of it and understanding what you're dealing with and um, trying to make sure you're navigating those waters must have been kind of daunting. How how did you kind of overcome some of those kind of daunting, like, oh, crap, is this going to be good enough? Or I don't know what's going on in your head when you're having to, you know, almost kind of rebrand the next generation's experience of this franchise, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was was pretty tough. I mean, I think the entire team felt that, you know, felt the uh, the pressure was on. Could feel it. I think... Yeah, the, the franchise. I mean, I think the franchise wasn't, you know, wasn't in the best place when we started. You know, there'd been the, a couple of films that hadn't been so good. You know, spin-off films, stuff like that. Yeah, um, and some other games that came out that weren't doing so well. And so I th- at the start, it didn't feel like, you know, it felt like we had a lot of work to do, but we were confident that we could do something really cool and something new that had never been done before. But um, but as we started getting into it, and especially once we had announced the game and the fans become aware of what you're trying to do and that we're trying to recreate the original experience, um, then that's when the pressure really hit where you kind of think, these guys these guys love this film, they love this franchise, and now we're the, we're the gatekeepers to that now. Yeah, man. And we can't mess it up. <laughs> so, yeah, you really, really feel the pressure. I, mean, we're, I think we're quite lucky that the fan base is really passionate, but not in a destructive way. 
like the you know the, the the fans that we'd met and the kind of communities that we interacted with were were all really encouraging and just really excited about the, the prospect and the concept of the game. Yeah, that I think there was a bit of free reign. You know, they weren't they weren't going to lean on us too heavily, but um, but like one of our kind of core pillars for the game was authenticity, and it was just like this needs to feel like this game was beyond one of the closed doors on the Nostromo. You know, it had to feel the same. Yes, um, and the you know the. Uh, the benchmark that had been set by the movie was so good, you know, and and still stands the test of time. That uh, we had such great source material that, as long as we could replicate that and then add our own little twist here and there to to give it some, you know, some freshness, then uh, yeah, we had we had such a good reference that that made that a little bit easier. I think I think you guys, the team, and everybody at Creative Assembly who made this happen are are, are really a great case study to to show the world that. Yes, when you have great source material, um, do it right by mm. creating something new because you guys did create a new experience, but yeah. you didn't bastardize it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. instead of changing the rules of the world, like, what if we had, you know, a million aliens in your face? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's good if you want, but this is more yeah. in line with the original intention of that film, the original yeah. idea. And I really felt like the moment that I heard about this game, somebody said, Hey, they're making an alien game. Okay, cool. I've played that at arcade games. I've blasted mm. millions of Xenomorphs around with bullets and shit. Um, I've had that experience and I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then um, they said, no, it's different. I said, okay, well tell me what it is. And they said, well, it's just you and you're just versing an alien. And I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome. And then they're like, yeah, the alien in the game actually has an artificial kind of intelligence of how it interacts with things. It's not, um, it's not a, you know, the basic system of, of like how we've interacted with monsters and shit in games prior. So, um, once I heard that it's incredibly simple at the theme of what it is, which I think is brilliant of it. It's all the right ingredients, basically, I think, all together that create a really frightful experience. And like what we talked about early in the conversation is that I haven't finished the game, but it doesn't matter. Like I got for me personally, I'm not like that was a ripoff. I'm like, I'm just too chicken shit to finish it because the experience (laughs) is so raw. And and also, I just need to make time to go in there and and get in there and and play it some more. Um, It's just I got to I got to make some time to do that. Um, but at the same time, it's still, there's something great about that exchange, you know? So, yeah, I I think it's just, it's the, the kind of core experience, like the, the the overall story, like I really like the story. I like what the guys did with it and, um, and how it kind of weaves its way into canon, I guess. Um, but the, just the core experience and just getting to one of those kind of encounters where it's just you versus the alien, you've not got any weapons or your weapons are useless. It just, um, I think we got I think we got the tension right and we got the believability that this thing was intelligent right yeah and that, that was all people needed and once they played it they came out that was really cool I will remember this as a good game and I don't have to do it anymore but, exactly. um, but I've had my cool fill from it and that's all I need which is great you know that's cool yeah definitely man I think it was just uh, as a point of it you know I think it's really interesting as um, in your involvement too we talk a little bit about um, how you kind of sprinkled your efforts across the whole thing because it obviously you're passionate about it and you wanted to have your involvement on it You, at what point in this project of making this game were you aware that this is going to be a gem this is going to be something that I'm going to remember and something to be proud of 
And, um, you know, people are going to have me on podcasts for to talk about, you know, <laughs> shit like that, you know. So um, I don't know. I mean, like when I when I got offered the job, uh, I like I think it's quite common in games in the games industry where you don't really know what you're going to work on. Yeah. You just know that it's cool or they give you some hints. And with this, um, like Creative Assembly are, have previously been known for doing strategy games, you know war games and stuff like that and that was not really something that kind of interested me from a ui point of view it wasn't wasn't the direction i wanted to go in i mean the games are great it's just not something i was kind of wanting to do and then they, they kind of offered me this job and said it's really cool it's something different but we can't tell you what it is and we kind of went back and forward on phone calls <laughs> and emails and like you yeah. gotta give me something you know it's hard to it, navigate that huh yeah i mean yeah. i was going to be moving country it was going to be a huge deal like to move oh wow from, without even knowing huh and, yeah, without knowing where it was. So eventually they kind of, they got an NDA up to me and um, it was funny because there was a couple of guys I was working with at the time got offered a job at the same time and we all found out together what oh. it was. We kind of ran into a meeting room and just started jumping up and down going, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> because it was, uh, you know, it was just pitched as it's a survival horror game. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I, you know, thinking you know, in my mind, it's like Silent Hill and stuff like that. I'm like, that's cool. That could be interesting. He goes, sure. And it's based on the Alien franchise. I'm like, oh wow, it's interesting. It's, like, <laughs> it's based on the first game. I'm like, oh bloody hell, yeah, okay, I'm in. <laughs> and it was just that. It was that simple. It was just like, right, I'm on. Yeah, <laughs> that's for the misses. We're we're moving. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that must have been uh, difficult too. Yeah, to to be able to make that shift, but um, at the same time, yeah. Yeah, it it's was good. Cool. I mean, and I think we we knew we were on something special quite early. I think just on the premise, but yes, it wasn't until I think maybe once we had our kind of announcement demo put together, like it was part of the game, but we kind of like took this you know mid part of the game from midway through and just kind of showed people that, and that was the way we introduced the game, which was quite rare to kind of introduce with playable code. Hmm. Um, so we we'd invited all these journalists over um, to the office and they. I, I don't know what they were really expecting. They, they knew it was something to do with Alien, and that was it. Um, and I think they all came in with a bit of a kind of cynical eye and kind of, right, let's see what this is going to be. Sure. And we, so uh, the creative director, Al Hope, he kind of stood up and gave this little five-minute presentation about how cool Alien is and and uh, and and kind of what our ideas behind a good Alien game would be. And then instead of, like, showing them a trailer or some proof of concept, we just said, right, go next door and play it for an hour. And they all like looked at each other in a bit of shock and kind of like, what? Okay, like, this is not this is not normal. And then they go into a darkened room. You know, we've got these. We had this really cool setup for them to experience it. Each, you know, it wasn't just like they all sat there together. They all played it individually. Oh, that's cool. And they all came out like sweating and yeah. talking to each other and going, "Bloody hell, what, you know, what, what is going on? This is amazing." And then we done a round of interviews, and they were all coming in saying, "Give me a minute, I've got to rewrite all my questions. Give me a second. You know? Yeah, of course. And that's when we knew we were onto something really cool. It was just the excitement from that one hour of gameplay they were just like this is totally different this is new this is not what we expected at all so well because um, you're creating point, this team, sorry go ahead it's, it was just at that point the whole team you know it was two years of work had kind of gotten to that point where you have no feedback and no one's allowed to know and it's it's difficult to keep the momentum going and then that was the real kind of that's when it caught fire and yes yeah it's incredible from then on out well you make these things kind of in a vacuum right and then the moment that you have that release you're, you're not I think, I don't know for you, but for me, it's like you're hoping that people like it. Yeah. yeah. And that reaction probably must have just been like the same feeling you must have got when you found out and you're jumping around with your mates in the room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That energy. The thing is, because like you say, you're in a vacuum and and you're not, 
you're not getting any feedback for better or worse. You know, you're not really getting, you're getting, you know, internally from, you know, your, your bosses and the publisher and stuff like that, but, you know, not fans and not just your, your, your target audience, if you want to call them that, you know, you're not getting any feedback from them. So you don't really know. Yeah. You might, you might have some confidence in it. Like we thought we've got something cool here, but, but we don't know until someone plays it, you know? And so getting like 40 guys in to come and play it over two days, and for every one of them to walk away going, holy shit, this is something cool. That that was just an incredible moment. You know, it's the highlight of the career sort of thing. Just, and everyone in the team, yeah, they all felt it. And it was such a, a huge effort had went into getting that ready and getting it to that point. Um, and everyone was really tired and exhausted and really getting to that point where you need this to go well. You know, for your own sanity, it needs to go well. And luckily it went as well as it could. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that's also, what do you think of that idea? That's kind of a theory that I've been kind of talking about with the guests and stuff is um, the concept of, of working really hard almost to complete exhaustion. Is that part of the formula of what makes something great? Do you think um, to that point where you, you're kind of on that fringe, you know, is that what makes great work? Because I've noticed a lot of the work that I admire comes from that it comes from that cost of people, basically. Yeah. What do you I, think? I think it does. To an, yeah, I think it does. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but, you know, um, I, I pour myself into things as much as I can. I kind of think if you're going to do something, especially if it's going to take four years of your life, you know, you got to do it right. you got to make that worthwhile yeah. for not just for yourself, but for the team. You know, you're, you're putting an effort in on behalf of everyone else, you know. Um and yeah, and you know, we we all worked ourselves to to exhaustion, but it was out of passion. It wasn't because they were telling us to do it. It wasn't because they were saying, "Hey guys, we've given you another fifty hours work this week each." It was <laughs> it was a case of us going to them saying, uh, "Do you mind if we stay late and do this other cool thing we've been thinking of?" And them having the confidence and trusting us to let us do it. Yeah. So yeah, I think you you when you get passionate about something, you you definitely pour yourself in more, and you know. Uh, to a fault, I guess, like personally, you, you do get exhausted and burnt out and it, it has its effect on you. But at the end of it, you can take, you know, a nice big sigh of relief and be proud of what you've done with that time rather than, I would hate to finish a project after four years and go, man, if only I put some more time in and made that better, you know. I yeah, the regret. So it's, it's a horrible idea. And I personally, like, I, I just can't stand the thought of investing that much time to regret not giving it a ten percent more, you know. I'd rather just go nuts and burn out doing it, and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and do it right, and then feel that I did the best that I could. You know? Yeah, it sounds like we're pretty uh, kindred spirits here because that's a very similar outlook that I have. Time is precious, you know, and we only have oh, yeah. so much of it, and it's best to use it the best you can with the most fulfilling thing. So, yeah, I, yeah. The, the idea of, I mean, you can you can regret missing out on other stuff you know I do like my son was born halfway through making that game mm. and uh, you know you kind of your mind's in two very different places when that happens you know you're really really tied into work and you've got family stuff going on too and trying to keep that balance is really tough yeah how do um, you keep that balance um, is, there, is it a possibility <laughs> yeah because it's I, I'm still working on that you know it's hard yeah I mean yeah. I, I think the thing it's not so much about time like I'm, I'm definitely getting better at splitting my time up between work and family stuff and spending kind of quality time with the kids and, and things like that. Um, it's more just personally, like in your head, getting out of one mode of thinking and into another. It's just, I just find that really tricky. Um, 
yeah. you, know, you come, you know, you're working for 10 hours on something for a day and then you come home and you've got to change your personality essentially and be, be dad and be husband. And it's, it is pretty tricky because you've spent so much of your time that day in a totally different mode. You know? Yeah. I've been working on some brain hacks and stuff like that. Um, personally, okay. just from books and stuff that I've been reading. One of the things that's worked for me and I used it in this kind of this talk I did at FITC and it kind of works. It just depends on the mood and how much sleep I've gotten. But I use the phrase just for now. And when I do that is I, it's like a trigger in my head. And I say, just for now, I'm going to do these emails for 15 minutes or just for now, I'm going to work on this thing that's daunting, but I have to do it. Or just for now, I'm switching off from work and I'm going to go to family mode, you know? Okay. And the moment that I do that, I don't know, it works for me. I would I'm curious, yeah. maybe it might work for you or people that are listening mm-hmm. to, because that is a significant thing, especially for passionate per- people that give things a hundred percent. Um, it's hard, you know, to, I'm, I'm a hundred percent for 10 hours here. And I, now I I'm unplugged there. I need to go relax my brain. And then you're like, Oh, now you gotta clean diapers and, you know, yeah. wash the dishes and cook dinner and stuff like that. Um, it's hard to switch those minds, you know, um, yeah. especially yeah. if there's I mean, nagging things, you know, so. Yeah. Especially, you know, I, th- I think that the hardest parts were when your, your day didn't go as well as you'd liked, you know, you, yeah. you know, especially in software development where you've got some bug, you know, that you can't squash, you know, you can't fix some issue and it's, that sticks with you when you go home, you know, you, you don't, you're, you're thinking about that because you know, it's going to affect you tomorrow. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of, or it feels almost counterproductive to wind it down. You feel like, well, if I keep going, I'll solve this. But, um, but yeah, I think I'm definitely getting better at it now, but the, the balance, but it's, um, it is a challenge. I think it's one of the hardest things about doing creative work is, you know, trying to keep your personal life sane, you know, and keep it, keep it going well. Um, my poor wife. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> deal with me. You kind of like, she'll be having a, a sensible conversation and my <laughs> mind will be on God knows what else. And, and I don't mean it, you know, it's not like sure. I'm just, it's not like I'm bored with a conversation. It's just that, you you it's automatic it just kicks in you know and you you find yourself daydreaming about something you're like shit sorry sorry what were you saying yeah it's unfortunate Uh, (laughs) so uh yeah relationship with a with a passionate person yeah or just a creative mind in general can be kind of difficult i talk with my wife quite a bit about it and we're getting better at it um as long as our communication is clear of course Mm -hmm. you know but it's definitely challenging and i Definitely empathize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, sorry. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough that my wife's very patient and she's quite, she's, you know, she's very creative as well. Like we met in, uh, well, we, we, we met each other through, uh, through her brother, but we went to college together for a while. Hmm. Uh, she's a very creative person as well. So she kind of understands, uh, I'm lucky that she kind of understands what's going through my head and, and why I get obsessed about something or kind of go, you know, we were going to watch that movie tonight. Do you mind if I just nip away and start working on this thing that I've been thinking about? And she's uh, incredible enough to let me do that without getting going crazy. So <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, for me, I've understood um, relationships are, if you can relate it to like a plant, for example, and it needs sun and it needs nourishment and it needs water and it needs attention and time. And, uh, the moment you kind of sway those balances, it kind of throws everything off, you know? And, mm. um, for me, at least it's, it's, it's important to navigate those things properly. And we have little rules and stuff. We try to en- en- enact, I've, um, read some cool tips from people on different books where they disconnect from technology for at least one day a week with the, so they have family time and, 
okay. uh, stuff like that, you know, like, yeah. or like, okay, at dinner time, there's no phones allowed and stuff like that, you know, and it's easy. Yeah. It's easy how intrusive, um, technology is. I don't know if you're the same as I am, but, um, I'm so connected to it and it's easy mm-hmm. to, to let that stuff seep back in like, oh shit, I'm just going to check this text message really quickly. And then, you know, yeah. it's like sacred yeah. time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's just habitual, you know, habitual usage of, of, uh, like having your smartphone in your pocket and it's, you know, it's vibrating every so often with notifications and it just becomes second nature to pull the phone out and have a look at it. And you don't really think that you're in, you're actually interrupting what you were doing. Yeah. You see it as part of just, uh, just checking my phone, but it's actually an interruption and it's constant. So how do you deal with that? Um, um, I'm not sure I do. (laughs) 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 Yeah. You're honest. uh, I mean, we, we do kind of just put them to one side and, and sit and chat or have dinner or play with uh, play with my kids and stuff like that. We do, and we like to go out, you know, we, when we can. My wife's pregnant at the moment, so oh, it congratulations. Makes it harder, but yeah, thank you. So you never know. We only get weeks left, so you might get a might get labor on creative po- on the collective podcast. So oh that'd yeah, be, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be amazing. Maybe <laughs> a first, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she's only got two and a half weeks, three weeks. Wow, left. So so that's pretty crazy as well, but. Um, when she's not heavily pregnant, we like to go out and get out, outside, get some fresh air, go for walks, you know, and I think that's good for everyone. Not yeah. just not just spending time together, but just getting fresh air and getting away from the four walls, you know. Yeah, it's amazing what a uh, walk will do. I've really been enforcing that on my own uh, daily habit and it's helped tremendously. Just gets the blood going, gets the mind activated on the reality of the world around you, which is far more interesting at times than anything else in the yeah. in the computer screen uh yeah but yeah since i moved up i've moved back home um december just before christmas and um so i'm now kind of walking to my day job and okay. uh, it's like a 40 50 minute walk each way hmm. which is great so it's like nearly two hours a day that i'm just walking and uh, it's a great way to, I've, I've found actually kind of switching off from your daytime work mind a lot easier when you go for a big walk to finish the day because you kind of get a lot about your system and it's more of a transitional period rather than jumping in a car and being home in five minutes yes you've not had time to get out your system whereas when you walk home you're still kind of thinking about work but it's relaxing enough and you're getting fresh air and i think it does kind of transition you better to just coming into the house and being a normal human being for a while yeah so i've definitely seen a, a kind of increase there but i think yeah, with with baby on the way and stuff, it's been pretty hectic at home as well. So sure, <laughs> I can imagine it's hard to make a routine right now because of things. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that's a great um, trick actually. Um, as a freelancer, there's a I've heard a story of a guy who um, he works from home and he has a he does this uh, freelance from home. And what he does when he starts his days, he gets dressed like he's going to go work, and then he goes down, walks down to like a coffee shop and then walks around the block a couple of times or a couple of blocks or something, then goes back to his house. And then, and then he's like reset his clock as if he's going to work. And then, but it makes sense to you too. And when I used to commute to prologue to, um, on the train and just having my own couple hours just to kind of like write and decompress would help. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good fact, but but um, no, that's awesome. I want to talk a bit about too. Um, there's there, there's been a lot of interesting conversations about. It seems like um, the UI and UX has been a quite a, a popular word and a popular kind of thing to be coming up a lot more these days. I don't know. Is have you noticed it? Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, definitely. 
it's kind of like a new kind of a window. It's been around for a long time, but it feels like it's something that's kind of grown. What's for you in it's in the the category of games? What's the difference between a UI and UX, and what defines um, greatness in e- either of those categories? Um, well, I mean, I think I think they're they're a little bit interchangeable at the moment. The two terms. Um, yeah. I, I, I always kind of feel that UI is specifically relating to the, the I say physical, but you know the actual content that you've created, and the UX side of things is more of the I don't know the psychology, I guess, of how it's being used. Because I think I think UX is more about kind of differentiating between what you've made. And what you intend it to be, how you intend it to be used, and how it's actually being used, and trying to bridge that gap and make sure that you're doing the right thing. So you might like you design the UI for the game with an experience in mind, um, but then you've got to work out whether that's actually the experience you're delivering, or if that's how people are even interpreting it. Um, Yeah, so I think it's that, but there definitely feels like there's a spotlight on it nowadays. Yeah. And blending the two in your mind is probably the best way, or at least having somebody that's connected to both aspects. Like you were on, uh, alien. Is it kind of being able to know that, okay, right now the players in a high stress mode. And so I can't have Mm. a bunch of bullshit on the screen to confuse him. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it comes with, um, I think it's, it's a kind of a weird art form to, it's a hard thing to navigate because there's so many variables in games, especially if you're if it's a really heavy kind of experience-driven game like Alien, where you're kind of putting the player into very kind of high pressure, high tension states, um, where you can't hit them with a, a wall of text. You know, when uh, when there's an alien chasing them, yeah, you be very careful about what you show and, and how you show it. So there's there's definitely a science there of you know, when is the best time to tell a player, by the way, you've got to save your game or whatever, you know, something that would actually take them out of the experience. Yep. You're trying to layer stuff in and keep them where they are and kind of, it's like whispering to someone while they watch a film. You know, you're trying not to distract them, but yep. you're trying to give them vital information at the same time, I guess. So, That's a beautiful that, way of putting it, I think. Yeah. You really achieved that, I felt. That was one thing I really admired highly about the UI in the game was, um, especially from a designer standpoint, um, the decisions that you and the team made on where the stuff is, when it comes up, how it populates the screen, and the amount of exchange that I need to take as far as time and information, the exchange and how quickly I can get back into the game or read and stuff. It was it was very much like that um, that you just said, kind of like in, you know, hush, kind of talking to somebody quietly while they're watching a film yeah. is yeah. kind of kind of the experience because the alien is the game itself is kind of like the film obviously in many aspects and themes but the way that you i mean i don't know it must have been kind of difficult or right because simple design is the hardest design minimal design is the hardest i think you know yeah well there's that and you know and i think i think with uh with both ui presentation and the user experience as well if you've done your job really well no one notices you know um, it's only if you've done your job badly do people take notice and kind of go, this doesn't feel right. But sure. if you've done it really well, then people don't even realize that they read that bit of text or, you know, they just, it's a subconscious thing. You know, you kind of just show the right things at the right time and they, they'll notice it, but they don't really realize they've noticed it. Yeah. You know, they've got the, the and, and the, the hard thing about Alien was that it was a pretty it was a pretty brutal game. It's pretty difficult. And a lot of the stuff we had to tell the player was really important, but there was no, 
easy way to get it. Well, I mean, there was easy ways to get it across, but no effective ways where we had to say, by the way, you know, you really do need to keep an eye out for save stations or, you know, and, and kind of teach them the rules of the game without breaking the experience we were trying to do. So sure. it, was, it was pretty tough to, to navigate that. So we just tried to find the right moments. And you know, me and uh, Gary Napper, the, the lead game designer, we spent a lot of time working out what the messages were when throughout the entire game they should appear under what circumstances and you know what happens if you know we tell a player by the way don't shoot the alien it won't do anything and then you know 10 minutes later all Spoiler the players done is repeatedly shoot yeah yeah <laughs> you know, you know we, we need to then work out well if the player keeps doing the thing we say not to do or vice versa or he's not doing the thing we've said is vital sure then we need to then bring that message up again but the second time around we'll make it a bit more noticeable you know sure so that that kind of thing, and trying to create you know, user stories and work out when and where these things are going to affect the player most, and yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's really fascinating. It's psychology. psychologically, yeah. It's like you're yeah. silently ushering people through an experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's very difficult, I think. And also, the other thing is, you you'll have people that are complete gamers, right, on a completely different spectrum. Oh yeah. And, and then you have people like myself who never play video games really ever. Um, mm. Maybe put like, I probably put more time on your game than I have anything else. Well, besides like Monument Valley, and I'm also, yeah. I also just played Thomas Was Alone, which I thought was a lot of fun. Have you played that? Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. great. Great personality, and I just love the mechanics of how simple it was. Um, yeah, and yeah, uh, it was a great game. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing, but it's. Um, I think we found, especially with with something like Alien, like we. You know, we built this kind of intelligent creature, and obviously, it's it's, an, it's only intelligent in a in an artificial sense, you know. And we we know, or we we kind of know what it was going to do and how it was going to behave. So we become really desensitized to it for a while. So our experience of it personally, as developers, um, we're kind of putting stuff in the game and thinking, I have no idea what someone fresh to the game who's never seen it before, never sure. played it before, actually going to feel. And it was only until we actually got to show the game to people and get more people in, you know, get press in to come and play it or do some focus testing that we got some real quality feedback. But, you know, we were, we were still getting scared by the alien up until the end, which is hilarious. Because <laughs> it would still jump down when you least expected it or, you know, it would just troll you. Yeah, um, it's a fucking troll, man. It is, yeah. And so we still, we still had that aspect, though. We still had the fear. We knew we kind of, we had that nailed because we were still getting scared and that was cool. Yeah. It made, it made working for... 12 hours on it really hard <laughs> you're sure just exhausted I, I was gonna say fear. you're like your uh, nerves are just yeah. frayed after four years of just dealing <laughs> yeah. with the alien you know it's like geez yeah. <laughs> it was funny it was, it was funny seeing people like really hard at work you know trying to solve some horrendous you know code problem or, or whatever or try and find a bug and then the alien would jump down and scare the shit out of them <laughs> and break that concentration in the funniest way um, <laughs> It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I think I think the fact that we, you know, you kind of get, well, you 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 know what's behind the curtain, right? So you, sure. you know you know how it's all working, and you know you roughly know what it's going to do and when it's going to do, or what the, the what's coming up around the next corner, and spatially, you know, you know all that stuff. So it's, it gets really difficult to see it from a fresh perspective, you know. Yeah, because you know you look at the things like film or or uh, music and stuff like that you you're all hearing the same thing you know you might you might know more about it but um the problem with games is that people can do what they want in that space you know 
we we don't know which way the player is going to turn. You know, they can they could run up towards a an objective, and then instead of actually pressing the button we want them to press, they could just do a one eighty and run the other way. And we're like, shit. You know, <laughs> we've got to think about what to do when the player does that. You know, if the player starts running backwards through the entire level, what do we do? You know, um, and that's that's one of those extra problems that games brings is the freedom that we give the player. You know, it's like making a film, but the viewer has the camera. And you're like, no, no, look this way, look this way. Yeah. But I think you know, the open world aspect of it is obviously the the device that makes it um, so interesting. And the idea of, we talked about ushering people silently, yeah. Um, yeah. psychologically, through this traumatic, um, terrifying experience. And mm. then it's almost, uh, I guess it's kind of like very similar to a haunted house that's a yeah. digi- like a digital haunted house that's a psychological kind of thing it's yeah, fascinating yeah. stuff man it's really one thing that i find fascinating about this stuff too is is how um strong these uh devices are becoming um you could actually get way more frightened um many more times by playing alien isolation than you would um watching alien over and over the first time you watch alien obviously that world will shake you because you didn't realize that stuff existed until yeah. you know entering the mind of Geiger and 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 Ron Cobb and all these guys and also Ridley and everybody and understanding that stuff. Obviously, the first time's the best always, but yeah. the game thing is a completely different psychological engine. And uh, I think there's something that you guys have tapped on to that's really interesting, you know. Yeah. psychologically you know yeah fascinating. And, and it's tricky because like you say the, the first time people see alien you know it's it's it blows their mind and you know and you know it is a film that stands up to repeated viewings and it's you know it still looks incredible and still feels great to this day but you know obviously some of the magic gets lost when you know what's going to happen and you understand more and more about the alien itself or once you've watched the sequels and you go back you kind of you know where it's going to go Whereas, so we, we had that problem where we've got this game version of it where the player knows everything there is to know. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that's really tough because you're like, you know, we, we're not going to be able to surprise someone with a chest buster. They're not going to be surprised. They've, they've seen that countless times and they've seen it ripped off and parodied countless times as well. So yeah. um, how, you know, what the hell did we do, you know? Um, and so that problems like that are really interesting as well because we're, we're trying to manage expectations of the player so that we do the franchise justice and we stay true to the first film and all the things that it's set up but also do something new and scare them at the same time it's like that, that was a tough one i don't i don't know quite how we did it but we seem to do it <laughs> I, I think yeah i felt like you guys did and i feel like you guys focused on the right things from my own standpoint you know instead of letting that define the outcome i think a lot of times when people make these things that are so big like this are constantly making sacrifices i feel like yeah. the, the core theme of this game probably stayed true for the whole four years it felt like you know at least like there's you're surviving against the xenomorph that's it that's, yeah and the core yeah, the core idea was was fixed throughout. I mean, it, it did definitely take its kind of it did meander to get to the point it got to in the end. You know, through different ideas and just trying stuff out and seeing sure. what works. But um, yeah, the, the kind of core theme we we knew it was it was to be uh, the game of Alien without being the game of Alien. You know, yeah, as close as we could without uh, with enough new to keep people interested and surprise them somehow so 
Definitely. It's a, it's a huge task as we talked about. Who are some of the designers that you look up to? Uh, so visual designers, just designers in general, or do you look up to any designers? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of game design, um, you know, like mechanical game design, um, I think like guys like Ken Levine, who've done the Bioshock games, um, is fantastic in terms of how he tells stories and, and weaves them into the environment. Does a really good job with that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and things like The Last of Us, like the Naughty Dog guys do an incredible job with that as well. Yeah. And world building, you know, really good at that stuff. Like visually for me, um, like even though Alien was all kind of retro sci-fi stuff, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm still really interested in the more futuristic sci-fi stuff. You know, the stuff you've done, uh, G-Monk stuff, um, that kind of stuff just blows my mind and I watch it on repeat. And keyframe my way through it and work out exactly what you've done and how you've done it. Don't do that. No. <laughs> what does this frame look like? Oh no! Don't do that. No. <laughs> no um, it's awesome. It's uh, yeah. It's cute. So stuff like that. I, I do like. I've, I've got kind of a wide taste. I think anything that kind of anything that feels different and interesting. I like seeing people do stuff that you wouldn't think would work right away. You know that. If someone was to explain the concept to you, you kind of go, what? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then you see it and you think that's awesome. Like, um, uh, was it Albert Omos's Entangle video? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, like if someone described that on paper to you, mm-hmm. like what you were going to see, you'd think that sounds absolutely <laughs> mental. <laughs> yeah. You, you would, yeah, you wouldn't buy into it. And then when you see it, you're like, holy shit, that's incredible. Yeah, um, that's a fun yeah, one. Stuff like that. Like, yeah. It's really cool. It's, it's surprising. You know? Yes. Yeah. That, that's beauty of visuals, right? Yeah. The yeah, beauty of, of actually creating these things. It's kind of a, a unique gift. Um, the better you get at it, though, I always feel as a, as a task to humanity, I guess, to create the unknown. Either yeah, if you're going to fuck with people's heads or you're going to make something great. It just depends on your your ambitions, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. Go ahead. Just sorry, you were, you were going to say? Oh, I was going to actually talk to you about, um, same, it seems like, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I, I imagine you are. Are you familiar with Dieter Rams? Yes, yeah. And it sounds like a lot of your the aspects and the core of your design decisions are kind of in line with the way he approached design. Is that true, you think? Um, possibly, yeah. I mean... At least I mean, with your game. You know, yeah, yeah. Functional I mean, design, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be functional. It's got to be... I mean, I think Alien, especially where the film itself has got a very functional feel about it. Everything, everything has a purpose. You know, there was no, there was no decor in that it was all, you know, every switch that you flipped, a light would go on and it would do something, you know, there was a, a real functional feel to everything. And I really like that idea that everything's got a purpose and it's all there for a reason. That's, which is pretty cool. And I, and I like, you know, yeah, I like, I like that sense of organization and, and things being really, uh, really tight and well thought out and methodical almost, you know. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, well, personally. Yeah. Um, I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've always, I've always been that kind of like, I'm, I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that if I sit down and want to do something on my own, I'll still write a big task list of all the things I want to do and how much time I want to sign and then check it off when it's done. You yeah. Know? I like, I like checking boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do. You're a list person, huh? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. How um, How is your so, list work? What's your system? I love lists too. I'm all about them. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of um, ridiculous how much I'm into I, I think I think it's just an addiction thing. I think it's like you know you it's satisfying to check a box because it represents completion of something, and so <laughs> an establishment so of time that it. isn't wasted. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the more boxes I make, the more I can tick, and it makes me feel great. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I use um, there's a, a, an online kind of app called Todoist. Oh, yeah, To Do List. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, so, so I use that um, pretty much every day, even just for, you know, boring nonsense, you know, where it's just like, I'm going to sit down, you know, the kids are in bed, I'm going to go on, you know, I'm going to fire up Unity and try some stuff out, and I'll make a list of all the stuff I want to try. and. Uh-huh write comments to myself so i remember what i've done and and it's it's probably i probably spend more time doing that than actual productive work but uh, <laughs> but i do feel like I've, at the end of the day i can look at it and go yeah I, I achieved something today that's cool well have you heard of the 80 20 rule no no what's that uh it's a economical thing um i forget the guy who came up with it it's a formula um and it's kind of like it, it's actually a formula that's tested and proven in many different things but he was like an economic genius i forget his name it's uh tim ferris brings him up in his book uh the 12 hour work week or the 12 or the four hour work week um but it's about the concept that um 20 of your effort should account for 80 percent of your outcome basically so if you if you sit and plan it's kind of like uh, abraham lincoln said like um give me six hours or something to cut down a tree I'll, i'll spend like you know four hours sharpening my axe or some shit like that. Basically right. it's like pre- planning and preparation. Um, yeah. can, can really achieve a, a better outcome because you have a destination in mind. Um, do you believe in that? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, I think in just in general, like pre-production and planning and knowing what you want to do as best as you can before you go in is, you know, it's paramount. That makes such a difference. Um, you know, I still like to go in and just explore stuff and, try things out but i definitely feel like taking the, the the time to to understand what it is you really need to do and then when you do get started you'll be far more productive yeah know? i agree i think that there's a there's something really special about that um i, I don't know do you find yourself easily distracted uh, yeah definitely yeah, yeah. me too <laughs> um, yeah it's too much cool stuff right yeah. That's it. Yeah, there's just too much to look at. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I think um, I, like my mind wanders all the time. Like it, I kind of I don't want to sound too pretentious, but like when I'm if I'm in if I'm in the zone and I'm kind of you know I'm I've, I'm feeling kind of prolific and feeling like I've got lots of ideas. They kind of branch off like trees where I'll, I'll like branches on a tree where I'll, I'll get I'll get to a point, and instead of continuing on the path that I should do, like you know finish the, the thing I'm working on I'll have like a tangent and just run off on that and then that will tangent I'll run off at that and it takes a bit of time to get back to where I should be um, and that kind of happens while I work but it, it just happens in general anyway you know you kind of you know, you know what would be cool if I'd done this instead and then you kind of just jump across to something else for a bit and that's that's a real you know it can be great you can you can discover some cool stuff doing that but it can also be a nightmare <laughs> when you can't focus on one thing for long enough yeah you have to be kind of like a ridley scott or something to have teams to to to, um there's lots of people that are like that you know um that are able to execute your ideas basically and you can just be a random firing order just like bam bam i have this idea and i have this one but when you're having to forcibly create 
uh, everything to finish by yourself, it can be very daunting because I feel the same way. Um, I have a million ideas, um, but the only ones that really matter are the ones that I can finish. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) right? Um, I mean, are they all kind of culminate? You know, they become... Um, for me personally, they, they culminate into something else, you know, they become, I have an idea from two years ago that I wanted to do this thing. And then all of a sudden it works its way into the project that I'm working on now. So would you say yeah. it's good to have that stream of conscious, just letting it from fly? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's been stuff that I've thought of kind of randomly or, or, you know, a tangent at some point years ago that has then become relevant years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of go, you know, and especially if you keep a note of this stuff and you're not, you're not just binning work because it's not relevant or whatever, you know, you don't back it. You think that was just some sketches that I did five years ago. What's the point? But yeah, I mean, even, even just on alien as well, like there was stuff that I'd done within the first couple of weeks that was on that project when we didn't really have a game to play that by the end of the game had resurfaced and became this kind of, you know, me sitting down with the with the creative lead going do you remember years ago when i done this random thing and we said yeah whatever that's that's interesting hmm. and we just forgot about it and then years later it becomes suddenly really relevant so i think i think it's good like if you've ever got ideas or you're having some you know i <laughs> like uh i always joke with my wife that they're called white flashes like you would get in lost or something yeah you know, that's a good point one of these yeah. kind of flashes and you just kind of you have this sudden stream of visuals or whatever it's in your head and then it, and then that's, that's it gone and it's it's a kind of a weird experience if you can note that stuff down because there's been many times in my life where that's become like a, a holy shit moment where you go oh my god i've got something here this is cool and yeah. you can run with it so yeah the, the last thing you want to do is stop it you just want to try and maybe control when it happens when you actually start thinking like that i think that's why i struggle with nine to five jobs like i struggle with the eight hours straight on one yeah, um, me too. Because, because you can't, you cannot really afford it the time to go off on tangents, or people are expecting stuff off you within a couple of hours or whatever. And it's, I've always struggled with the idea of like coming in at nine o'clock and saying, "Right, it's our time. Let's get <laughs> started." You know, yeah. And then eight hours later, you're still expected to be on that that train of thought, and I find it very difficult. I mean, so far so good. You know, I've managed to do it, but uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of come and go that has to be done there yeah i've had a real hard time at it myself um early on in my career and and then but just trying to find that way of creating good structure because being freelance now it's like there's no there's no boss really except myself and the client and so i have to you know enlist certain practices and behaviors to encourage such effort you know yeah um yeah it's it is it is challenging at the same time like yeah sometimes i feel like uh like you said it's good not to stifle those kind of um creative bouts and and explosions because they are so important you know uh it's challenging because i have my personal self, I have so many things that I want to do because I find things to be so fascinating. When I, when I play alien isolation, I'm like, Oh, I want to make a game like this. This sounds, yeah. like, this looks like a lot of fun knowing how hard it is even. Yeah. And I'm still like, oh, I want to do it, <laughs> but well, it's, it's, it's such an ordeal, you know, and, and sticking, I mean, hats off to everybody at the team for four years, you know, sticking to that thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's challenging. Even, um, example from my understanding is like when I was working on Ender's game, I found out that, um, it had been taking 10 years or so for them to make that film, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. shit, 10 years, man. Like, that's crazy. 
crazy amount of time. I mean, obviously not completely focusing hundred percent all the time. Like you're like, we got to make this film and cause it would get, it would have got done a lot faster. I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I know I kind of made, I made the mistake when we finished alien, I made the mistake of calculating what percentage of my life I'd spent on it. Uh-oh. That was worst, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, just, it's like, Holy shit. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. No. Especially for younger folk in the team as well. And you know, some guys that are, you know, in their mid twenties, uh, you know, they'd spent four years on the project and it's like, that's like your adult life. Yeah. <laughs> You've spent your entire adult life on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was crazy. And I remember, in fact, I remember um, one of your podcasts where I can't remember who it was you were talking to and they'd linked to this kind of grid checkbox of all the weeks yeah. of your life, I think it was. Yeah. So Vitaly, <laughs> Vitaly, my buddy Vitaly brought it up. Yeah, I don't that's- think he brought it up in the podcast, but he showed me later on and it scared the shit out of everybody. Yeah, that, that Have you really- used it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's morbid. It's <laughs> like the worst week of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's isn't it crazy how um, we turn our heads to the fact that we are dying. We are time is fleeting. That we are against the clock. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. A, it's a huge motivator for me. Fuck um, yeah, good for uh, you. Huge, just a, a, I don't know. I think you know my uh, like my mum was very ill for for her life. Um, like since I was born, she had a, a pretty rough time of it, and. Mm. You know, when like when I was a teenager, we were told she only had a few years left to live and stuff, and it was really, you know, it was really shitty. Um, yeah. But she, wow. she lasted for she lasted for quite a long time, and she only died a year ago. But sorry, it made myself. I think I think my brother and and my dad and stuff like that made us all very very aware of the ticking clock. You know, hmm. like dealing with that kind of stuff from when you're a teenager all the way up to to now. You kind of, you know, it, it can all change really quickly, and I know that sounds really morbid and stuff, but it's. I don't think it's morbid but, though. Do you think it's, it's morbid? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think people get uncomfortable talking about stuff like that, which I think is a shame because it's such a it's a shame. Know, it's a common thing that everyone you know everyone has this in common. This this uh, you know finite amount of time you've got to do stuff, and so I kind of feel like you want to think about how you use that time as best as you can. You know. Yeah. Um. And you know, as as horrible as it was as it was for for like for my mom and stuff like that it did give us something to appreciate there. You know, it, it really set us off on a path where we really value that time and value what we do with it. And it, it actually makes making decisions, even just about like what you're going to work on next. It makes, it makes that a little bit easier because you've got something to measure it against. Yeah. So, I feel much, like I mean, that's, that's sorry. My life that's going to take. Yeah. No, you know, I, it's just like, yeah. I think that's actually giving, um, it's like paying honor to them personally. That's the way I look at it. I don't Absolutely. know. Yeah. Um, by living your life, you know, that much more fulfilled or being a cautious of that we are against the clock, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. just by living everything that you can. I lost one of my best friends when uh, he was 21 years old. I think uh, at 20, 2021, he got hit by a car. And ever since that day, I was like, well, it's time to fucking step it up. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. life is well, too short, man. 20 fucking one years old, man, dying. It's like, shit. That wasn't I even, I didn't, I couldn't even, I couldn't tell my ass from my face at that age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, de- it's definitely a wake up. Like, it, it, like I say, it, it can all change so, so quickly. You know, yeah. It's, yeah, you're walking home and something like that happens and it's, it has a massive impact on your entire family and everyone you know. And, but I think you've got to, you've got to try and look at the positive from that as hard as that is, which is, you know, to appreciate what you do have. And, and like you say, you know, do, do them an honor, you know, and use your time as best as you can afterwards. Yeah. 
I think that, that that there's an aspect of that that makes great work though too. You know, mm-hmm. um, I even I bring up Steve Jobs quite a bit because I I read his book and stuff, and he, he would always tell people that he was going to die young. He felt he was going to die young, and I kind of like it's like a self fulfilling thing, I guess, that happened with him. But yeah. um, the amount of 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 the the wave that he created was pretty significant. You know, he's a, a yeah. bell curve guy, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. But being aware of it, I think it's kind of it is kind of weird how people find it to to use the word morbid when they describe time and stuff as far as like how much we have of it and stuff and but i feel it's important um i think high level professionals uh embrace it and um work with it you know and yeah and yeah. use lists and all that kind of stuff at least that's my encounter so yeah i think so like so i think it's um yeah, I think a few people have kind of we've had chats about this kind of stuff, and I've I've kind of talked about the you know I I do weigh up the time that's going to be spent on something, and it's not the amount of money you could make from a project or the it's the time you're going to spend on it and how productive a use of that time is for you personally, and what you're going to get from that when you think about it in the context of your entire life. Yeah, you know, what's what's it going to mean to you? You know, like Alien was such a huge investment of time and a huge chunk of your life. You know. It's like a big payout for you too, huh? Yeah, yeah. When that's the thing, it's like you've, you, when you do decide to do something, you give it your all because you've made this huge decision to devote yourself to something for a long period of time. And uh, and it's you know I see that as a you know it's a chunk of your life that you're not getting back, and you really want to do something good with it and not regret that chunk, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, regret. I think some people do feel it's morbid and they kind of go, you know, <laughs> you don't want to think about death and you don't want to think about that these things can happen and they'd rather just kind of get on with life as it is. But I think it helps you make better decisions in it. Yes. Um, yeah. I yeah. agree. hundred percent on that one. Yeah. I think that, you know, like you said, it makes you decide how do you go about deciding these big decisions and, and what are some of the things? Cause I know you got something new um, in your life. I don't think we can talk about it though. Right. Can't yeah, no, no, I can't really talk about that. Okay. Um, but there's something like, how do you make those decisions on finding the, finding out what you're going towards or, um, when you make these big decisions and also, um, what are some of these goals in your life that you, do you have big goals in your life that you're wanting to accomplish before you leave this earth? This Yeah. Span? Yeah. So, I mean, I've got, I've got my bucket list, you know, mm. stuff that I would like to do. Um, how I get there, I'm not entirely sure yet. What are some I mean, of those things? Um, God, um, I'd really like to do, you know, I'd really like to, at some point in the future, go it alone and do my own game or do my own film or, yeah. you know, and do something from it and run it from the top and just, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm full of ideas and I know not all of them are going to be great, but I really want to try them out and see what, see if it works and see if, you know, if I've got an idea I'm really confident in, but I've not got the ability to express it yet. And I'd like to get to a point at some point where I can kind of go, this cool idea that I think I've got, I want to make it and I want to see it work. And I want to find out if I was right. <laughs> There's no time like the present to do that, huh? I know. Yeah. And it's, and yeah, and, th- and the clock's ticking as well. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. So stuff like that, trying to do my own thing. I, I'm kind of, I think you kind of said it yourself as well, where I'm, I'm very guilty of, like I go and see a band or I go watch a film or I watch a TV show and I come out of it. And instead of going, yeah, that was pretty cool. I go, I want to make that. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked, man. Yeah. And I just want to make that, you know, and it's not even like I want to make a cooler version. I just want to make, it's like, I wish I was involved in it. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and so that's, that's a huge problem. So I've got this like pretty much everything that I consume. I kind of go, yeah, I want to do something just like that. And, yeah. Uh, 
And so, and I've done a lot of stuff so far, like, like the UI stuff, I just kind of fell into from being a graphic designer. Yeah, me but too. I'm, it's weird, right? Yeah. And I just, <laughs> it was just, it was just a nice transition. Like UI, you know, graphic design, have obviously got a lot in common. Um, I started doing motion graphics and then that had even more in common with games, you know, or presentation of games and it, the tech to actually do the kind of stuff you'd maybe do in After Effects or whatever, to actually do that in-game, in-engine running live is fairly new, you know, to be able to do stuff. And the tools just weren't there before. So I think I kind of got lucky and came into the industry at a time where they were needing people like me. Yeah. But I just kind of fell into it. And before that, I was teaching film for a while at film school. Ooh, I can't wait to talk to you about film then. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, keep <laughs> yeah. going. Sorry. Um, I taught film for a bit. I mean, for about a year, I was designing... Uh, packaging for beef products. Oh, it's That's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it was the weirdest, weirdest jobs, like really well paid, but um, woefully boring. But, um, but yeah. And, and probably make I, that amazing if you were into it though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was, it wasn't like, I wasn't like going to supermarkets and designing beef products, but it was, uh, it was a company that were doing the kind of science behind genetic testing so they could work out, you know, where like organic food was coming from and whether it was, you know, you could get like a seal of approval on stuff. Okay. And, um, and so I was working with this company to do all the, all the, all the kind of uh, uh, branding for them and their, their service and the visualization of how that would integrate with all these different supermarket packages and stuff like that. It was bizarre. Hmm. It was really odd. But, uh, <laughs> It came from like a friend of a friend and, uh, and this was like one of my first big freelance jobs. Oh, okay. And I had no idea what to charge for it. And uh, I can't remember, I think I said something really ridiculous, like really low. Cause I just wanted the job because it was, it was creative work in, in some way. And it's like, right, I'll, I'll do this. And I pitched, I can't remember what I pitched, but it was pretty low. And, uh, and the, the woman came back and laughed and said, right, I'll double it. <laughs> like, oh okay. that's cool <laughs> which is great yeah it is nice great. right i know you're new but uh yeah i'll double what you asked and we'll, we'll go and even then i'm kind of ripping you off and like okay rip me off that's fine uh, <laughs> that's good because that went on for like a year and it gave me you know a, a bit of cash to kind of try and do some other you know fund other things i was in a band for a while and stuff like oh, yeah that. what instrument do you play uh, a bit of everything i'm one of those guys oh yeah so you're a multi-passionate person then yes yeah yeah um so yeah and the band was quite that was like God, you know, 10 years ago now but we've done quite well played some festivals and oh that's cool just a few things and what stuff was the like name that. of the band uh futuro 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 okay. yeah I'll, I'll dig it i've got some embarrassing videos online i'm sure <laughs> um but but you know we, we were we were pretty good but we we actually struggled with the business side of it quite a lot sure it's a typical we thing trying, yeah we we're trying to do things ourselves and uh, the, the the guys in the band like it was my brother and um, and my best mate that were in the band and uh, we wanted to do things ourselves and do the whole self produced self promoted thing that was kind of in vogue back in the mid two thousands yeah Tool was like starting was it doing that Radiohead and yeah. all that stuff yeah exactly yeah they were kind of like just starting to do their own business models and trying new stuff out and we thought yeah we can do that and we did have some cool stuff like a kind of pay as you want pay what you want type thing and it worked quite well for us and um but we couldn't, we couldn't really get past a certain point. There was a bit of a glass ceiling where if you didn't play the game, you weren't going to get anywhere. And yeah. 
you know, and like myself, like funnily enough, the whole band were, there was only three of us, but we were all teachers in some way. Like me and, and my best mate were both lecturers at college and my brother's a high school teacher. Hmm. We just weren't the ones to go out and get drunk with some A&R guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and convince him to give us a record deal or anything like that. We just weren't those guys. We were just like playing a cool gig. You know, we'd, we'd sell out places and then go home and mark some papers and go in the next day and be lecturers again. And that just doesn't work. You know, you can't, you can't do that. And, uh, and blend in with the the industry, especially in the UK, it was just kind of quite cynical and quite difficult to get any traction. And uh, so it's like so an yeah. abundance of people, huh? Yeah, yeah. So just, they're kind of similar to the music and the art industry is kind of similar, don't you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I think on both on the consumer side and the business side, it's very very similar. Yeah, it's good that you probably got that kind of experience though, and then painting a picture for what to expect with the creative realm as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just, I think it's just experience of dealing with people, you know, and, and having something, having something that you believe in that you want someone else to believe in yeah. and trying to convince them without doing the hard sell, you know, um, trying to, I mean, some people do it in the, in the hard sell kind of way, just like really put themselves out there. And I've never been that great at that, um, you know, and I guess that probably contributes to why we didn't really get any further, but um, but yeah, it's just the experience of dealing with professionals and, and people who hold the keys to funding and stuff like that and, and learning how to speak their language. It's not something you just read in a book. You know, you've just got to go through it a few times. Yeah. Uh, I think anyway. Yeah. It's an experience, right? Whether it's, it's, it's not a, the best experience, but definitely experience. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Uh, maybe one day we'll reform the band and, uh, dude you guys send me some links and i'll put it on the podcast so people can watch get some sales eventually dude yeah. there you go <laughs> it's like your uh what was it like um pure volume or there's like websites back be- before they got crushed by everything like myspace had a thing and there was oh uh, yeah there was a couple of those back in that early day uh, i can't oh, remember yeah. the band names i remember posting up stuff too that's good t- good time so but i feel like they're yeah. very interconnected you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you taught film school. I did. Yeah. Well, it was a kind of um, it was a college. It's a private college in the UK that well, they're kind of worldwide. The SEE they're called, um, but they do kind of music and audio production. It's all very kind of technical courses, or at least it was back then. Um, so it wasn't quite as academic as film school. It was more like I was teaching people how to use equipment, how to edit, how to use Final Cut, stuff like that. Um, a lot more about the practical skills rather than. Um, you know, we didn't sit and analyze films for weeks on end and, and write essays on them. We just went out and shot stuff, you know, which was really cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've done that for about three years. Um, uh, but it was great fun because you were just working with like some really passionate guys who just really wanted to make cool stuff. And you were teaching them what they needed to know to do it without holding their hand, you know, and without changing their ideas. You were just kind of going, this is how you use a camera. This is how to set up lights and this is how they work and this is what not to do. And hmm. you know, and we, we talked some theory, but, um, but a lot of it was very technical, which is cool. You know? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a different approach, which is kind of unique. It's kind of like safeguarding the idea and the intention, huh? Yeah. That's the thing. I, I didn't want to like, I know, I know some guys who went to film school and, and I've not, I don't think I've met someone that ever came out of it going, that's made me a better filmmaker. Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like whereas, like we had we had one guy who ended up. He, he this is a guy Paul, who's he's a great guy. He worked on um, Alien as well, doing the trailers, and he kind of edited some cutscenes and stuff like that. And um, we met through the college years ago, 
And he, I think he'd went, he'd studied some film stuff. And then at the end of it, it's like, yeah, you still, you still need to come and get actual technical skills to use anything that you've learned. Yeah. And that, that seemed to be a recurring theme. I can't remember if Paul actually went to film school or, or not, but there's quite a few people who, who would come to our course after doing like four or five years at film school and then saying, yeah, I still don't know how to use a camera. Hmm. It's like, and it's just a very different thing, you know? So we, we kind of made this, the decision to focus on the, the technical stuff and just enable people to do what they think is cool. You know, um, we, we kind of set briefs and like they had coursework to hand in. They had film, they had like four or five films to make over a year or of different kind of themes. Like you'd make a little documentary piece. So you'd make a, make a short movie and music video and stuff like that. But, it, but with no real constraints on theme or anything like that. So people got to just go nuts and, we gave them the kit and they just went and made stuff. And it was really cool. 90% of the students I find go to school because they want to be pushed to do something and they don't have the discipline to do it themselves, which is, which is my, I'm the same. That's why I went to college too. I didn't, I lacked the discipline of, um, achieving things or, you know, like, uh, the peer pressure basically, or the, the, you know, know, having someone set a goal for you, I think is really important when, Especially yeah. early on, you know, I, yeah. I was kind of a bit different. Where I um I went to college, I kind of went in and out of further education. Like I started uni and then quit like a month in because it just wasn't for me. And then I done it again. And I kind of went in and out because we were kind of lucky in Scotland where further like your universities are free, mm-hmm. which is incredible. So you don't walk out with mountains of you know student debt. So lucky. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't think that's too much longer. But, uh, it's the biggest it's, industry here in the States. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because you, you guys end up with, like, crazy debt at the end of you know, <laughs> Yeah, depending on the school, it can be anywhere from, like, I think I left with, like, 25 grand, and I went to just basic schools, very simple schools, and, and schools that right. weren't really uh, high on, like, the, oh, get, you know, this is... Uh, but I know of some people that are in the hundreds, you know. Yeah, a thousand dollars house money basically. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think down like down in England, they they do pay for the fees, and they've their fees have went up quite a lot recently um, to everyone's annoyance. But up in Scotland, we've had we've had free education for a long, long time, hmm. uh, which has been really cool because it gives people the, the ability to try stuff out and not not worry too much about the financial. You're still going to have to, you know, it's still going to cost to go to uni and live, you know, but. Um, yeah, I gave a bit of freedom. So I kind of went in and out of education. But my my problem, I had the initiative to do stuff, but I didn't have the structure. That was my problem. I didn't have a, I didn't know what to do next. So I just done stuff, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, and I kind of just tried everything creative that I could. You know, I was doing music. I was doing trying to do 3D stuff, trying to do 2D stuff, trying to do film and just kind of, it's going crazy until maybe I was, in 22 or something where I went to college finally and studied graphic design for a couple of years and uh, that kind of solidified things a little bit hmm. and then yeah. I look back and now I'm like I'm doing graphic design but I'm doing film when I'm doing <laughs> sure you're in the same trajectory but it's just a little yeah. bit it's a little skewed in a different light I suppose yeah uh, but it, yeah like you said you kind of fell into the UI thing but it's probably the intention was that you're you're just passionate about many things and maybe it's a good place for us to be because it is kind of a, it's between all things, you know, it's functionality, it's usability, it's interaction. And it's also like yeah. the psychological thing. Um, yeah, I think many being, being different involved, aspects. 
Exactly. Yeah, the many it's the many different aspects. It's the the really attractive part of games, I think, because what I was doing on on Alien and and the games before that as well was was kind of I was doing video editing because I was doing trailers. You know, I was editing trailers. I was shooting behind the scenes stuff because we needed that. You know, the making of documentary stuff. I was shooting a lot of that. Um, I was doing the in game UI. I was doing a bit of programming. You know, you just got to do a bit of everything if you're capable and you're willing. Yeah, passionate. You could, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you come out at the end with a portfolio piece that you can apply to like five different industries. You know, which yeah. Is you sound like a very passionate individual. Is that is that a word that you would use to define who you are? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when when we were working on Alien, I was quite I was quite vocal um, about about things, whether you know things aren't going well or I didn't agree with something. I was quite vocal, and I probably pissed a lot of people off, <laughs> for which I apologize. Sure. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and I think I think some people would maybe construe it as being negative where you kind of go, man, this is shit. We can do better than this. But it was a passionate thing. It was like, I know we can as a team do better than this and we should, and we should all just get stuck in and do it. And yeah. it can get misconstrued sometimes for negativity when you're just like, you really want something to work and you know, it can be better than what it is. And you've just got this gut feeling that, you know, we can do better than this and we've got, we, we don't have to stop. We can keep going, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I get very passionate. I get very, um, locked in on things and very obsessed about them it's um, one thing to know that there's something to, that you can do the, the other the next level of that is showing you know that's one thing i realized because yeah. I, I when i first started getting really heavy into this i was very passionate and still am but the way i would express my passion is different now i feel like now i i say it but then i go okay now i have to act on yeah, my no, words sure. you know yeah. but the the exchange of that is it takes the you to the next level basically because then for example i'll leave a film um and i'll critique the shit out of it if it's good or bad and then i rewrite it um in my head the way that i think it should have been and so instead of going that film sucks and it's like okay well you that's easy to say um but what would you do why did it suck what point did you disconnect what point did it not fulfill what you're aiming for but by dissecting it has allowed me personally so much more involvement and in understanding what makes something good into my own personal um, opinion, basically. Because I have like pretty long arguments with friends about films and stuff, which is fun. Mm, I find yeah. it to be entertaining. So what are some films that you are fond of? Um, are there anything recently that you're interested in? Or is there a film that you've seen recently that you're really into knowing that you're into films? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've I've kind of been off grid for months now since we moved. Like the last six months have been crazy with moving moving house, like moving back up to Scotland and having a baby on the way. So I've not really seen a lot of the stuff that came out in the last six months. I mean, I think the last big film I saw was Interstellar, which I love. Okay. Um, just on a visual level, but um, I kind of I even like with music as well. I just I I always go back to the old stuff, like a rewatching like children of men which i think is one of my favorite films it's a great film yeah yeah it's just brilliant just i think anything that alfonso Cuaron does is just just gorgeous and what do you think of gravity i really like gravity i thought it was great um i think the i think that this you know the story was okay and the dialogue was okay and stuff and it was but just the, it was an experience. Like I went to see it in IMAX and yeah. just got got the full thing. And you know, in that opening shot of the kind of, well, <laughs> I see the opening shots like ten minutes long, but or whatever, thirty minutes long. But um, yeah, like right away, I started to feel dizzy 
Um, and I don't usually get motion sickness from films or anything like that, but I felt like motion sick right from the start, mm. but just stuck with it. And it kind of felt like it was supposed to, <laughs> you know, sure. like I'm supposed to feel ill at this point. And it, it, has, it just blew me away with just the, the tension that it was building up. And I, I don't know, I just think contemporary sci-fi is really nice. I just, even just things like Apollo 13 and stuff like that. I love that kind of, it's like taking something that's fantastical I know we I know we can go to space and I know we do that stuff, but it feels like fantastical stuff, but giving it a real, you know, kind of human edge of just it's just regular nuts and bolts. Like that's that's why Apollo 13 was such an interesting story to me, was because these are just guys in a room trying to work out how to fix a spaceship remotely with yeah. bits of paper and you know, nuts and bolts, and it, it gives it a really grounded feel and I just really like that. And I think that's why I like gravity. Um the human spirit too. Aliens all about that. The human spirit, the perseverance, yeah, survival. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perseverance and that kind of need to keep going. Um, you should check out The Martian. I just finished that book. It's pretty. Uh, it's about a guy oh, yeah, basically surviving, and Ridley's doing a film of it too, which is going to be cool. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I read that last year. Um, yeah, that was excellent. And, and I think again, that was kind of it took something that was um, science fiction, but it, you know, I think the way that character was portrayed was very human and very relatable you know yeah, it's important he, he wrote he wrote like a guy doing a blog and that was cool i really liked that i think some people didn't like that side of it like you the guy was an idiot or something but um but it just made it feel like this was someone you could root for and someone you could you could understand you know? yeah the whole theme of that was a survival like macgyver the human spirit kind of thing you know totally. yeah man versus nature which is kind of what we are always there's a con a constant theme whether it's our own nature or nature itself um mm. or working harmoniously with it yeah yeah have you um let's see i'm trying to think of a current film well i guess you haven't seen anything recently um what are some of like the you know non-sci-fi that you're interested in do you have some big kind of key films that you've seen in the past or if you were to make a film would it be in the sci-fi genre is that something that you just really are passionate and love um yeah i think so i think it's not so much um it's not like uh far future sci-fi stuff it's more the contemporary stuff that i really like um so i guess yeah things like martian and gravity and stuff like that where it's close to home you know i, I like the idea of the future plus 10 years plus 20 years where it's like you can kind of believe everything that's happening um but you can imagine some some there's been some leap in technology that allows you to do a few more cool things but without going too far i do like that kind of realm um but like no i think the like her was a really good film yeah um i love that and i think that falls into that same category where it's like kind of it's close enough in the future to be believable but um, but I just thought it was a beautiful film in, in all in all respects, you know, um, beautifully shot, a really nice story, incredible performances, you know, that that one stuck with me for a while. Um, it's really uh, thought-provoking. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Similar yeah. if you've seen Black Mirror, this show Black Mirror, there's an episode that's really similar yeah. um, to to that, that's right. that theme, which I, I saw that um, quite a bit before her and really appreciate that approach um, to the telling of such a um a genre basically which is fascinating have you seen ex machina yet uh no no i've not seen that i missed the theater run that was in january i think yeah check yeah. that out it's interesting yeah no that seemed like a good premise as well um, yeah. did you see the um the the most recent black Mirror that came out the, the kind of christmas. longer yeah just with john i Hams. haven't i haven't i've been everybody's oh. been telling me about it i've just that was- 
I've heard it's amazing. I can't wait to watch it. So at the end, right? That no. <laughs> I'm like you bastard, don't do that. <laughs> no spoilers, man. <laughs> no, was, I, I really like that one. I think that because I've watched them all before, but um, but I think the fact that that was kind of you know a longer his first kind of really longer piece was really cool um, yeah. and structured in quite a nice way. Fuck. Um, yeah, it. I definitely recommend that. That was that was really good fun to watch. Well, I say fun, bleak, but. Yeah, it's always really bleak, you know. It's like Aesop fables for adults based on technology and the world around us yeah. and stuff. But yeah, I find that to be fascinating, cool. though. Damn, I, I really love that yeah. guy's uh, stuff, though. I I think, oh. um, what do you think of the way that the media is changing? A lot of times, sometimes I'll watch a film uh, and I'll go, damn, that was kind of a shitty film, but it cu- probably would have been an amazing, like, 12-episode c- series, kind of like True Detective, how they've been approaching that. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Um what do you mean in terms of films at the moment or just the formats changing? I think, or? well, well, like it's like, I guess for me as a standpoint, as a consumer of these things, um, like if you imagine somebody goes, I have this film called Breaking Bad and it's going to be two and a half hours and you're going to fucking mm-hmm. watch this teacher become this drug meth machine, you know, like yeah, as yeah. a, as a film, it might be harder to pull off, but as a series, oh, man, you just can't beat that exchange, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Netflix is doing a lot or, you know, not just Netflix, but services like that are kind of introducing this new, with, whether they realize that or not introducing this kind of new hybrid between film and TV, where you've got like really high production values. Cause I think TV is incredible now compared to 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, they have um, to compete with things like the new genre. Yeah. And I think like a lot of the original Netflix stuff, like, you know, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and stuff like that, they're, they're really good. And yeah, really good. Really yeah. Films, you know, um, and I think that's a really fascinating thing. It kind of, it's, yeah, it's still with the episodic nature of TV, but you can go for as long as you want. You know, you can, you can sit for four hours or eight hours if you want and, and really get into something, you know, I know a lot of people that have just like sat for an entire weekend and watched through house of cards or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Binge watching. And the fact, yeah. And the fact that they can, and, and it's, it feels like you're watching this incredibly long film, but the structure of TV makes it kind of work a little bit easier. Cause it's not like sitting through a, like Lord of the Rings for four hours or something. It's or 12 hours. It's, it's still got its peaks and troughs and it still ends on a, cliffhanger or a high note or whatever and it's still i think the structure works quite well when watched in repetition sure yeah like like my wife and i we um we watched lost when it first came <laughs> it's out it's gonna bring up lost yeah yeah season one of lost and we watched that in a weekend oh wow i say a weekend more like a day like oh, we wow. didn't sleep much um, <laughs> that actually came up in our wedding vows which was quite funny really oh man yeah, it was a proper <laughs> moment for us like we i think we watched the pilot on channel four over here sure we're just like holy shit that was what incredible. is this yeah like, and we had a really shitty internet connection so we started downloading an episode while we were watching one yeah <laughs> it was about right so that when one finished with next one would be ready and we just mm-hmm. keep going you know and we got hooked on it and that's that's on my bucket list as well as to to reboot lost we could do so much with that oh Uh, man it's just that those first i think it's about three seasons three or four seasons it's just man it's just so good and for me personally i'm like i don't care for a resolve don't tell me about it i don't care i don't need it i'm fine with it just not knowing anything it doesn't matter yeah the mystery first season like did you ever see the, the when J.J. Abrams done a talk about that stuff, about the opening of the box, you know, the mystery box? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, he's done that. a really interesting, I can't remember if it was like a presentation, I think. 
Oh yeah, is it like a like a talk that he does? I'll try to find it. I think so. JJ yeah. Abrams. I'm trying to. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. He talks about the box. He was talking about the mystery box, basically. Yeah, and it was all about the fact that you know the mystery of what's in the box is sometimes, is in fact, almost always better. Oh, always. Than what's in the box. Yeah. That's what makes Alien so good. Um, yeah. Because. Uh, the xenomorph is hiding most of the time and you just barely get a, a glimpse of it. But when you do, it's very phallic and interesting and, and something unlike we've seen ever, ever before. And it's psychologically much more terrorizing. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's, that's a kind of a good example of when it goes right. Yes. You know, when, you, when you can deliver on that. But I think that, I think that works because the mystery itself is so obscure. Like you don't know what to expect. Whereas something like lost, it was very, very heavy handed with it's kind of, we found a hatch. What could be in there? Yes. And then they wait, you know, 12 episodes, like 12 hours of content. Before you find it. And even then you didn't find out it was a cliffhanger for another six months. So. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it so, as I was having to wait. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we caught, we, we were catching up. So I think it was season two had just started in the US, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so we, we got to skip ahead a little bit, which was nice. But um, from that point on, it was weekly. But uh, yeah. And. I really like, I was talking to my friend about this recently, actually, but I love that feeling of like when you watch something and you, you, you see like some scene in a film or a TV show and you just think, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. You don't know what it means. And it's such a good feeling, you know, to, yes. it's just confusion. You know, you're excited, you're confused. You're just like, I do not understand what I'm looking at. And it's so cool. You know, it's really cool. It's like the end of 2001. You know, yes. you just don't know what's going on and it just takes you. Because, that's what makes it brilliant though. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you have no idea what that's meant to mean when, when you're experiencing it for the first time. Yes. You just, you're just on a journey and it's just incredible. And I love, and I think that's what Lost done really well for the first season was that it set up all these ideas and these, you know, you've got some French woman talking on a radio that's been talking for 16 years. Where yeah. are they? And it's just, <laughs> yeah, where are they? I don't care. It's, yeah, I don't care. It's, it's, it's more yeah. the journey that you're taking me on, um, which yeah. I find fascinating. And I know for a fact, that's why psychologically so many people are fans of that. Cause yeah. that's what it is. You know, I feel my, I'm going to harp a little bit, but I feel that the thing that a lot of current films and things are missing is they're giving, they're spoon feeding people too much. And it's okay to let people not know everything. I, th- I feel you're going to yeah. obviously upset the people that want the payoff, but you don't need to really, you know, like you don't need to. I felt like Interstellar probably could have just, it, there's a lot of things at the end didn't even need to happen. It would have been fine, you know? Yeah, I kind of, it, that was a strange one because I, I, I think I really liked that film for its, again, oh, not just bang on about space, it. Space, baby. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's awesome. It was rendered in such a nice way, you oh, know. It was, beautiful. it was like when you saw shots. I think it was of Jupiter or Saturn. Yes, yes, yes. It was just like it just looked like Jupiter. It didn't <laughs> look like a crazy epic version of it. It no. looked just like what you see, and if yeah. you Google image it, you know. I lost and my that, shit in that IMAX. I was like, "Fuck! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm seeing oh, Jupiter right now. I'm fucking flying through space in Nolan's world. This is amazing." Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, so my wife and I, we had the exact opposite. We went to um, we we lived in this little town called Horsham which is like south of London. Okay. It's like, have you ever seen that film Hot Fuzz? Yeah, I've seen Hot Fuzz, yeah. So it's like that, it's like that town. Um, <laughs> super it's small. Proper, uh, super small English town. And it's lovely, you know, we, we, we miss it. It's a lovely place. That's where Creative Assembly are based. Um, and they've got one cinema there. I mean, there's cinemas nearby. You can go on like a half hour train ride to get to a proper cinema. But 
um, with my wife being pregnant and stuff like that, we thought, and you know, we get babysitter in or whatever. We're just like, right, we'll go and see Interstellar, but it was at this like little theater. Okay, <laughs> but, but it'll be cool because it's a small, it's a small screen, but it's a small room. Okay, um, that might work, and it really didn't. It was like, <laughs> it's like literally. I mean, my wife was like, she 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 loved it as well when she was kind of getting really kind of emotionally invested in it, and I'm just looking at like literally seeing the red, green, and blue pixels and going, yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible film. But I did eventually like get the Blu-ray and watch it, and okay. ironically, better quality at home. Sure, cinema. But but just yeah, you could still appreciate the the the, the kind of artistic approach to the space stuff, which is brilliant. It's just like just look real. A lot know? of respect. Yeah, I just listened to a t- podcast, uh, Star Talk. It's Neil Tyson's podcast, and he he did a little oh, interview okay. with uh, Nolan. Um, about his approach to the film and dealing with such interesting things in, in a story, which is black holes and wormholes and all these different concepts of space and time and stuff. And it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a smart dude. He's, uh, I really admire that guy as a conviction. He has a lot of conviction and he's built his career, you know, brick by brick, which I have a lot of, uh, I really appreciate his approach. He's very, yeah. very hardworking guy. Very hardworking yeah. guy. You're the unique I'm- person. Yeah, definitely, I'm, and I'm really like I'm really glad that he didn't get sucked in by the the superhero thing, like yeah, doing Dark Knight and stuff. Like he made good films, but I'm glad he said ah, that's cool. I've done them, and I'm going to do some more stuff. Yeah, and, some, and that was good. Like he done Inception, which is brilliant. Well, he then, did Dark Knight to make it Inception. He had to prove that he could, you know, get a three hundred thousand yeah. dollars of investment oh. to make his own story. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, pay based, like cool. the brick by brick kind of concept. I mean, he's done it. Yeah, so. it's cool. Yeah, he set himself a goal and he's done it. You know, and then, uh, yeah, and I, I'm glad that he didn't get lured into just like I'm sure he got offered a lot of money to keep going. No, nah, he's too smart, man. He's too smart. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Cool. He's got a lot of conviction. I think that's one thing I really admire, and I. You know, I think it's important to study other people that are successful. And that's one of the key things that I've taken away from studying him is he's got a ton of conviction. One of the things I always remind myself is I've been, I'm the same as you. We talk about like building your own things. Like I'm building my own video game right now. I'm building my own IP and different things mm-hmm. and writing films. And yep. I read this book. It's uh, the making of the Dark Knight trilogy. I think that's what it is. And I, f- and I blew my shit away because it, it t- talked about Nolan started making Dark Knight in his garage uh, with a writer and he would just, he had a little bit of cash. So he'd, you know, hire um, talent to help him build a presentation. Then he built this amazing concept. He said, you know, this hasn't been done before. I'm going to show you how to do a, the superhero movie, the way I would see it. And, and, uh, and he went to Fox and won it, I think in like a 14 minute pitch or something, which is for me, it's, it says a lot about that person. He knows what he wants, does it and accomplishes it. There's no fucking around. It's, yeah. and you can't deny it. if you love or hate his films, He's very proactive and you got to appreciate that, you know? So, oh, yeah. yeah. And approaching the, the concept of interstellar is, is, is so even in, uh, like when I watched, um, inception personally, I watched it first. I was blown away cause I just listened to the score from Hans Zimmer, which is a masterpiece and then watched it visually. Then the more I watched it as a story, it fell apart for me because you constantly have somebody explaining it, but it makes yeah. sense to me because like he has to sell a big movie, big story to lots of people and you have to kind of spoon feed them, you know? So, yeah, but I mean, it, those, those films are such a, you know, they're big budget films huge. and you don't, they, and you don't see cerebral big budget films like that. that no. often. He's the only one that's able to pull it off now. Him and yeah, him, yeah. him and the dude that did uh, gravity, 
They're yeah. they're yeah. both kind of on that that uh, Alfonso is his name, right? Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's really yeah. talented. They've, they've they've managed to straddle that line where they've got these cool stories to tell and they know how to make them visually sell. Yeah, know? I'd love like, I'd love to see them do a series on Netflix or like not even oh. Netflix, just just a series, um, twelve yeah. episodes. What would those guys do? They're going to do it though. Fincher's already kind of started it with like you know certain things and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure actually Alf- Alfonso is doing one. Is he? I'm sure I read something about that. Yeah, um, yeah. I need to have a look, but <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of thing. It, it would just be great to see them go outside traditional cinema for a bit and do something else and see what happens. You know, I think they would destroy it. It would be awesome. Yeah. It would be yeah, a, a great experience. Yeah. JJ's shown us with Lost. You know, we talk about Lost, and Lost is a fucking great experience. The first couple of episodes, yeah. the first couple of seasons, is just phenomenal. And honestly, yeah. if it ended at that, I'd be like, "Who cares? That's awesome." I like, know, yeah, 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 that's. I don't I need just, a resolve. You know. Like, yeah, I kind of feel like that. Like, like I said, it's on my it's on my bucket list that one day I'll reboot that thing. Do and, it, uh, do it, man. It'd, it'd be great. Yeah, and um, but just the like the concept that they had, the initial kind of the season one concept of you know, a bunch of people landing on an island and not knowing where the hell they were and not with no help coming is just cool. Yeah. And with their kind of mysterious twist of, you know, like I remember watching it for the first time and thinking, man, they've gone back in time. Yeah. And that was my theory. <laughs> episodes like, it's a dinosaur out there or something. And you're waiting to see and it doesn't come and then <laughs> something else. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And you just, it, it was confusing enough and mysterious enough to just make anyone could have their own idea about it. And I yes. think... You could reboot that show and you could take it in a million different directions. It'd be just as satisfying, you know, from that base point where it's like, right, instead of a plane crashing, it's going to be a train crash or it's going to be, you know, astronauts coming back down to Earth and they've all landed and everything's different or whatever. You could you could change the, the situation yes. and keep that feel and keep that concept. I think it'd be incredible. But it, There's plenty of stuff there. I think that also like looking at it from the psychological standpoint is they tapped in kind of to the world of where Spielberg comes from. Or a lot of these guys come from radio. Like George Lucas mm-hmm. was inspired by radio growing up. And so that exchange of radio is there's no visuals. So you had to think of those experiences and those things. You'd have to see the Cowboys fighting. You'd have to see yeah. those things. And that exchange from the creator and the consumer is a very engaging, um, intellectual stimulating kind of exchange basically. And the, the lack of that now is, is, is what's throwing people off. I think psychologically to loving films or being attached and connected to them, I think. And that's really where there's a lot of divide, I think. And when you talk about when you're building video games and that interaction and being like a quiet participant in these things, that's very much along the same psychological lines, you know, at least I think so. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Yeah. Fascinating shit. Yeah. And I think, I think there's the potential for it all to change again when VR kicks off. Oh yeah. It's already here, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was looking at a thing earlier, actually. I saw a link to uh, the void. I don't know if you've seen that. No, what's that? It's like, um, it's like, it's like someone's reinvented like laser tag mm. with VR. So you're actually walking around a physical space, but with like an Oculus Rift on or whatever they've got. Um, so you're seeing the game version, but you've actually got a physical space to walk around and touch things. So you walk up to a door panel in the game and you're physically walking there and you're touching a door panel. But, you know, in, in, if you took the helmet off, it's just all gray walls and, and doors and stuff. But you've got this kind of VR layer on top and it just looks incredible. You know, it just looks like, such a good idea like they're putting special effects in and um uh, you know i think yeah, the example they had now. was like you'd, you'd tap some buttons and it would you know to open a door and you'd get like 
jets of air, but they would actually be jets of air in front of you in real life as mm. well as the game. So you got that extra kind of dimension of feeling and touch. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's going to be sold out every weekend. Yeah. Because it's just a totally new experience that we've never had before. Yeah. That's yeah. a haunted house experience and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like that as well. Cool. And I think, I think the potential for filmmaking in VR is really interesting. <laughs> it's crazy. It's another realm. Yeah. There's also the HoloLens and all that stuff too and all those yeah, different things. Yeah. yeah. It's just really fascinating. Yeah, we're on the dawn of a really interesting thing. And for somebody like yourself who's very passionate and wanting to do many multiple things, it's like there's no time, like the present really. It's like know, it's yeah. like the harvest is ripe right now. Like the industry is in a in a in a switch um and things are changing and now it's time to really just push for it, and make new original content that captures all those things that you're passionate about huh yeah definitely is i mean we, we had a little taste of it when we done like we done a demo of alien for the oculus um for the oculus rift and they they took it around a bunch of trade shows and yeah. stuff um and like it, it generated a lot of press for the game which is cool and a lot of people kind of got turned on to it but it was just like for us like seeing people play it in the vr sense they <laughs> played it in such a different way oh really. yeah because they physically felt part of it. And even though it was still early days, that was like a year ago and it was still kind of, you know, there was a bit of lag in the vision and it's there was more, really yeah. so much interaction the player could have. Like the stuff they're talking about, like the Steam stuff that they're doing just now where you're actually walking around the room and it's tracking your position in the room. That, that's all new. You know, we didn't have that a year ago. Hmm. But, um, but just like going to a trade show and watching people play this stuff in VR and physically reacting <laughs> in ways you've never done before or like throwing the headset off. And and, and one of the, the interesting ones I thought was really cool was like a group of guys all standing around one guy, like their mate. And they were just, and the guys get the headset on, he's playing it and he gets a jump, you know, he gets scared and he takes it off and he goes, Oh yeah, yeah that's really cool. And hands it to his mate who then takes a shot, but he didn't hand it over because he was finished. He handed it over because he was far too scared to keep going. <laughs> you could see it in his eyes. He's like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You, you, you give it a try. So you can see he's like just shitting himself. Yeah. I do. And it was cool because even though the game like on a PS4 or whatever gets people scared and gets them invested, oh, it's nothing like VR, not to man. This level, you know, not to this level. This was something else entirely. Seeing people physically, move and, and feel awkward like we we done this thing for the oculus where it track your head positions so that you could crouch down behind a barrel or whatever and you could just like physically move your head up and down and left and right and look over and around this <laughs> thing and suddenly that just changed like when we yeah. tried it in the office we were just like oh my god this changes everything yeah you know? it's more demalable like, yeah yeah well the, the example I, I always brought up is like for the first time in a game ever i could look through a door like upwards like to kind of look at see what was above the door on the other side yeah and that kind of head movement is just not possible on two sticks you know no. on a joypad. it was just like i've never done that before and now it feels like i've got another level of kind of observation that i never had before we've kind um, of accepted the yeah, use of those of the, the 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 controller you know and and it kind of accepted that being okay but when you're talking about defining the malab, like changing the world physics and dynamics, that's a whole different concept, you know? So, yeah, I think there's, I can't wait to see what people do with it. And, and I, and I want to get in on it as well, you know, do it, man, do it. Yeah. We're going to close this one out. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of like, just like tell all the peeps out there or anything that you wanted to <laughs> final thoughts? Um, yeah. Some final thoughts. Let's close this baby out with the bang. <laughs> oh God. Pressure's on the pressure. Um, nah, you don't have to do it. I'm just, I know. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, 
hard yeah. to end these things, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, I hope hopefully some of it's been useful to people, not just the ramblings of a tired man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I, like I've got a I've got a full time thing on at the moment and kind of doing that. But uh, hopefully, I'd li- I'd like to see lots of people get jump on this new tech, you know, and 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 like I want to do it eventually, but obviously with kids on the way and stuff, it's not the greatest time to jump on things but i'm really keen to see people just try stuff out we've got a whole new set of tech and yeah i want to see what people can do with it yeah i agree man there's so much to do there's so many things we should definitely do a round two whenever you're up for it it would be a lot of Absolutely. fun we could talk a little bit more i want to talk a bit about we didn't get a chance to talk a bit about the title sequence and then also um, oh, yeah. gameplay production pipeline stuff like that like okay. use, integrating photoshop illustrator and because i found out that you used a vhs machine to do some cool effects for the title and stuff so i'm fascinated yeah. by that stuff because that's the realm that i work in and it's a lot of fun too sure. but we'll do a round two if you're ever up for it it'd be a lot of yeah, fun absolutely. definitely yeah that'd be cool but i'm definitely looking forward to it. we'll have links to everything too as usual for everybody to see and hopefully we'll find all the links that we talked about so but dude thank you it's been a month in the making so i'm really happy that we've got this one down the books so yeah no, thank you very much it's, a, it's an honor um I, this will be the this has been the weirdest thing so i've been listening to the podcast for months now <laughs> it's gonna be really strange to listen to it with me on it so yeah interactive very very honored to oh dude thank you so much for spending time to come and have a chat with me i appreciate it and that does it for this week's episode. Thank you to John for joining us this week. You can find links to John's work in all the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectedpodcast.com slash 103, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have a glorious day, everybody. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.